Good evening, and welcome to the Eclectic Hour. This is Jim Barker. Tonight's guest is Lorraine Abraham. Uh, she's an employee here at the college, wears many hats like most of us do on college. We're going to talk to her. She's brought in some music. Uh, it should be a very interesting interview. I'd like to remind everyone that uh, you're listening to WEHC Radio 90.7 FM. We broadcast Tuesday evenings at 8 p.m., Saturday evenings at 8 p.m., and we also rebroadcast 6 p.m. on WABN 1230 a.m. in Abingdon. We're also streaming at www.ehcwire.com and www.wabn1230.com. So now that I've got all that out of the way, Lorraine, I guess we can, uh, we can talk a little bit. Would you like to say hello to our audience? Hi, audience. And Lorraine, could you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, I guess the first question I normally ask our, uh, our guest is that where are you from and where did you receive your degrees and what brought you to Emory and Henry College? Well, I'm from all over. My dad was military. And uh, so I've lived in Florida, Texas, France, Colorado, New York, Georgia, Germany, Ohio, South Carolina, and Virginia. And I've been here at Emory & Henry for eight years. Uh, Prior to that, I was in uh, South Carolina at a community college in Columbia. And before that, I was at Ohio State. Uh, My degrees, I have a bachelor in history from Armstrong Atlantic State University in Savannah, Georgia, and a master's from University of South Carolina in Columbia. And then I have a master's and a specialist in medieval and renaissance studies from Ohio State. And I'm, uh, I finished my doctoral coursework at Ohio State. Medieval studies. Yeah. That, you know, the dark ages. Well, they're not that dark. <laughs> <laughs> That's a misnomer. <laughs> uh, it is, isn't it? There's a lot, there were a lot of exciting things going on back there then. There certainly were. And uh, another thing I guess is going to be interesting to our listening audience is that you, um, you fit right into our le- eclectic theme in that uh, you have brought some very interesting music to us. Yeah, I brought a bunch of different music. And I think that uh, the thing that really strikes me, I, I've been all over the world and been very lucky in being able to travel a lot. And I come from an Eastern European background, and uh, in fact, my cousins all live in Croatia. And one of the things that really struck me when I was in Bosnia in 2002 on vacation uh, in Serbia and then Croatia also is how amazing it is that folk music sounds similar. It doesn't really matter the culture, uh, because I really like Celtic music, but then uh, Bosnian music, and then I was in Mexico last year, and a lot of the folk music actually sounds really similar. And so that's one of the things that I think is fascinating about music. I guess the, one of the reasons that could be, Lorraine, is that they were kind of limited in their musical instruments at that point. Exactly. So yeah. I, you know, there weren't uh, amplifiers, and there weren't all these exotic instruments, so you, you basically had a, a handful of instruments that they could make. So I, you would think that they... The sound would be very similar, even though I'm sure the technique is going to be different. It is, but, you know, it, it's kind of funny because it just, I think it just typifies one of those uh, situations where it's, it shows you how, how much alike we really are as opposed to our differences. I like well, to think that. Well, let's go ahead and go to your uh, first selection. And could you give us the name of this selection, please? Yeah, this is In the Village, and it's one of the Caucasian sketches. It's Caucasian sketch number two by Mikhail Ipolitov Ivanov. And this is from the album Russian Orchestral Pieces, uh, Leonard Bernstein and the New York Philharmonic Orchestra. 
We'll go right to it.
You're listening to WEHC Radio. This is Jim Barker, and my guest today is Lorraine Abraham. Lorraine, that was uh, a very nice piece, and you said that was uh, traditional folk music? Well, it's, it's based on, on uh, Caucasian folk music. And Caucasian meaning? Meaning southwestern Ukraine, Russia area. Well, that's interesting. You know, they, we call them Caucasians, and we call us Caucasians, but uh, are we all Caucasians <laughs> on this bus? I think so. <laughs> there, yeah, I guess that goes back to that uh, theory you had earlier about uh, how, how m- so much more we are alike than we are different. Right. Uh, let me ask you a couple of questions about um, this particular music. This is something that that you you were involved in Celtic music for a while, and then uh, then you branched off into this this type of music. Well, no, not well. Yes and no. I mean, I really like Celtic music a lot. I like music, world music, all over in general, but um, particularly this because uh, my family is Eastern European, and uh, right now it's I'm getting ready for Eastern Orthodox Easter, which comes uh, the 27th of April. So I'm starting to look at things like. Um, making all my food and getting my vodkas flavored and things like that. <laughs> well, is that <laughs> so a, it is that an important part of the celebration? Absolutely, the, the absolutely. Now, would you mind explaining to us a little bit about um, about this uh, what, Russian Orthodox? Is that what it is? Or mm-hmm. uh, Could you explain that a little bit to us? Well, Russian Orthodox Easter is calculated. I mean, it's Orthodox Christianity, and it's uh, it's on the old calendar, so we're 14 days behind the Gregorian calendar, which is used in the West. Uh, in addition to that, though, Easter is calculated differently in the Eastern Church than it is in the West. Uh, in the, and uh, it's it's real technical, but uh, it's the first Sunday after the f- first full moon after the vernal equinox in the West, and in the East, it's the first Sunday after the first full moon after the vernal equinox. But it has to occur after Passover. And I think that's a little bit oversimplified, but that's basically the way it's calculated. So it comes out different. About every seven years, it's on the same date. Last year, it was on the same day. But this year, it's um, about a month different, I guess, 34 days different, Mm -hmm. which I like because it actually makes it special. And it also gets me my Easter candy at 50% off or more. At this day and time, that's very important. It is. You have to have your chocolate fix. And if it comes cheaper, it's even better. Well, let me ask you a little bit about uh, some of your uh, jobs here on campus. I guess uh, right now you, you are the head librarian, is that correct? Yes, I'm the director of the library and also the director of information services, and I'm the project director on the Title III grant. Now, as, as being the director of the library, do you have anything that's going on in the library that the community might be interested in? Uh, other than the usual, we have um, one thing that's really been interesting this year that we've got, uh, we're wrapping up, we're, we're in the last stages of it that people don't realize that we did, and we just did it kind of as a favor, really. But the uh, Museum of Middle Appalachia um, over in Saltville approached us and asked us to help them organize their books because they have about, I guess, a thousand or less uh, volumes of various books, and they're mostly for their use for background for displays, et cetera, but uh, they were having a real difficult time getting them organized, and so we volunteered to go over and get their books and put them in our catalog as a special collection that's earmarked as the the museum, and so they, they're housed over there, of course, at the museum, but now they're in our catalog, and they're searchable, and 
and everybody's real happy about that. And that project's almost at an end at this point. So, in fact, they're having their opening on Saturday of the new area, and so we're happy about that. Well, it's great to get involved in that project. That's that's a very unique opportunity for us to be associated with that particular geographical area. It is so significant in a number of different ways. So I'm glad to see that we're involved in that and that we're helping them collect or at least store data. So that's a wonderful thing for us to be involved in that project. Yeah, it's it's been great, and it's really nice to be able to do regional things with some of our neighbors I think it gives uh, a lot of uh, good public relations to the college, and uh, it lets us help out, and we're happy to do it. Well, I know they're having a, you have some new additions to your um, to your collection because I've just recently donated some of the copies of yeah. the works that I've done. So I really appreciate you uh, letting me store those there and make those available to the public. Well, we're delighted to have them, and uh, it it always means a lot when people bring in things that they've either written or uh, a lot of people will come by and bring us things that they've uh, collected over the years, too. And if it fits in our collection policy and we have room, we're delighted to have it. So we're we're tickled. Thank you for doing that. Is there a space issue over there, Lorraine? Uh, there's always a space issue in any library. <laughs> Generally speaking, we try and remove a book for every book that we bring in, but there's still room to be weeded. And, you know, uh, that's that's an interesting subject because people don't realize that you have to take books back out of the library, too, to keep it current and to keep the information correct. And uh, sometimes there's duplicates in areas where we really don't need duplicate books. And so we can usually make some room on the shelves if we've, if it fits our collection policy, which, you know, for us is to support the curriculum here at the college. Well, I'm sure that that's always going to be an issue with, with the space. Do you have someone there um, in the library that actually is doing that, say, you know, full time, or is that something we all do together? Or the the library the the librarians do it together. But Jane Caldwell is our wonderful collection development librarian, and uh, she works with tech services Janet Kirby and uh, Carrie Hayden, and they do a great job of keeping the keeping the weeding going. We all do weed a little bit, but Jane is primarily in charge of collection development. So they're the weed eaters then. They're the weed eaters. That's right. And Jane, uh, you know, I see her around quite a bit. I was uh, whenever I was the director of the pool, she used to come over and swim a lot. And of course, being at the tennis courts all the time, she's always walking around. Mm-hmm. So I, I see her in all these different places, and um, she's always very friendly and been very warm to me. So. Um, She's one of my favorites. Jane is a wonderful librarian and a delightful person to work with. Let's go ahead and move to this next cut, and this would be... Okay, this is Procession of the Sardar, and it's the fourth Caucasian sketch by Apolotov Ivanov. It's, again, from the same album, Russian orchestral pieces by Leonard Bernstein and the New York Philharmonic. Well, this is Jim Barker and his guest, Lorraine Abraham, and we're going to the second cut from Lorraine's... Recommendations.
listening to WEHC Radio, and this is Jim Barker with the Eclectic Hour. Just to remind all the, uh, the listeners, one of the, um, the things that we ask our guests to do when they come in to be a guest on the Eclectic Hour is to bring in their own music, which gives us an idea of this uh, particular guest's personality and some of the things that they like and dislike. So we think that this is the music that a person likes is kind of a window into their personality. So it's nice to be able to get this, these different ideas about music and musical forms. And I guess that's the reason that we call it the Eclectic Hour, because we do have eclectic guests, of which Lorraine fits right into that profile. Thanks. And uh, we appreciate you joining us again. Uh, that particular cut was? The Procession of the Sardar, the fourth of the Caucasian sketches by Ipolitov Ivanov. Let's go ahead and talk a little bit about uh, Slavic studies. I understand that you're um, that you've been involved in Slavic studies. Uh, you studied abroad. Uh, you've even talked about being living in a monastery. So, could you tell the um, the listening audience a little bit about your experiences? Sure. Um, I started out uh, as I said. I have an Eastern European family, and so that was always part of my upbringing. And I married somebody who was Orthodox. I was Catholic. And so one of the things that he wanted to do was to be a priest, and Orthodox priests can be married. So we moved to upstate New York and lived at a Russian Orthodox monastery for a year while he was in seminary there. And that was a real experience because there were only, I believe, two people in the town that spoke English. One was the postmistress and the other was the librarian who came to town for Fridays because it was a very tiny little town. And uh, so I lived at a at a monastery. We lived next door in a f- apartment in a farmhouse, and uh, it was a 900-acre working dairy farm. And really quite an amazing experience. Uh, people like Mstislav Rostropovich lived down the road, and uh, Alexander Solzhenitsyn used to show up and go to church on holidays. So it was an amazing experience. There was a lot of old Russian immigre royalty there. Princess Vera Romanov handed out the diplomas each year. And uh, it was was quite a life. Well, it sounds like, did you learn to do any farming while you were there? No farming, no. (laughs) (laughs) Worked on my Russian a lot, but no farming. Uh, But I used to go down the street. It was was really amazing because we had moved from Atlanta, and it was quite a culture shock for me to not only— I had less trouble going from English to Russian than I did from going from city to country, I think, at that time, because there was absolutely nothing there. And so I would— walk down the street with my summer hat and wave it at the bulls in the in the pasture just so they would run up to the fence and stomp their feet. And then somebody explained to me that they could come right through that fence if they really got mad. So I would drive down in my Toyota and then wave my hat out the window at them and then drive off. So that was kind of how you amused yourself out there, I guess. I learned how to crochet. That was the big thing. And were they speaking uh, primarily Russian in yeah, that community? they spoke Russian. A lot of them spoke... Uh, kind of, it wasn't the Russian I was used to. I was used to Muscovite Russian, which is what we learn in high school, college. But uh, this was much more dialectic, and it was interesting because I got to listen to a lot of Ukrainians, and and so I picked up a little bit of that. It was a great experience for me in terms of linguistics. And then um, after that, I went to, when I went to Ohio State, I studied uh, medieval Slavic history and literature and languages, and uh, that's how I ended up becoming a medieval Slavic person. Now, your um, 
travel abroad? Have you? How many uh, places have you visited over there? Um, just in Eastern Europe. Uh, well, all over, I guess, about 20, 25 countries, something like that. Oh, but, so you're probably even ahead of me. That's that's, that's a lot of travel. Yeah. Um, but I was lucky because I lived, like, when I was a little girl, I lived in France, and we went all over Europe, and then I lived in Germany mm-hmm. for three years. But um, yeah, over there, let's see, in 2002, uh, Ohio State sent me to Serbia to attend a medieval monastic uh, linguistics and literature conference. And that conference... They they told me that it was okay if I went a few days early and stayed late, and so I went early and went to Bosnia on vacation, which kind of throws people, because mm-hmm. uh, that was an experience with uh, NATO-occupied place with bullet holes everywhere and burned-up cars and uh, landmines, but it was fascinating, and it was a, it was sad to see the culture as it was, but... I stayed in Sarajevo for four days and then mm-hmm. went to um, Serbia on a bus, which was an interesting adventure through Eastern occupied, uh, Serbian-occupied Eastern Bosnia. And then I went into Kosovo and uh, stayed. I stayed down there right on the Kosovo border for about eight days at this conference. And we went into Kosovo several times because the monasteries and the historic places for Serbia are in are actually in Kosovo. So that's one of the reasons it's such a complex issue. And uh, then I went to Croatia for a week and visited with my family, which was great. Is the religion of uh, the Slavics, is it primarily um, some kind of, some form of uh, Catholic uh, Orthodox? Yes, except for in Bosnia where they're mostly Muslim. So is that the enclave for the Muslims is in Bosnia? Yeah, the, the Slavic, the only real Slavic Muslims are, are Bosnian. And then Serbia is primarily Orthodox, and Croatia is Catholic. Slovenia is Catholic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, you get into the Western Slavs like Poland and Ch- the Czech Republic and all that. They are mostly Catholic. And then, of course, Russia is more Orthodox. Mm-hmm. Bulgaria is Orthodox. Yeah, I was surprised at uh, how strong the, uh, the Catholic uh, presence was whenever I was in Poland. Yeah. It seems like over 90% of the people, from what I've heard, were uh, are Catholic. And they have some very interesting, um, iconic type of uh, venues there where people make pilgrimages, uh, pilgrimages to. So that was kind mm-hmm. of interesting to see that. And then I ran into uh, a room while I was there in one of the one of the churches that was primarily from uh, Budapest. Yeah. And I was I uh, didn't realize that uh, Hungary has such a strong Catholic influence also. Yeah, Hungary is, is mostly Catholic. And it's also there's a real strong or there was a very strong Jewish presence in Hungary. And in 2005, I uh, joined four other uh, faculty members from different institutions. And, and the five of us took two students each and uh, went to Eastern Europe. I taught a Central European history class on the history of the Habsburgs for Amory and Henry and took two students and there was 15 of us total. We went to Austria, uh, to Vienna, and then to Budapest. And we stayed three days in each place. And then we went to Krakow, Poland. And we, we took our students to Auschwitz and mm-hmm. Birkenau. And um, Poland was the best place we went, actually. And then we went to Prague and then back to Vienna. I loved Poland. It was, I it think was it's such awesome. A, it was such a great country. And the people there were so friendly. And everyone was so attractive. And they all could speak English. I mean, just went on and on and on. And they were so happy to see Americans. And it's one of the unusual places in Europe where uh, you can actually feel comfortable and liked. 
Yeah, I agree. And and Poland was wonderful. It, people were really friendly. And of all the places I've been in in Europe, I think it's probably Krakow was about my favorite. That in Zagreb in Croatia. And uh, the students got a lot out of it. One of the things that we had, we had a real wonderful experience. The um, the last day we were in Poland, we were about to catch a train to Prague, but I took two students and I got a taxi driver who spoke English to take us on a private tour of the, the Jewish quarter, and he took us out to... Um, we had been to Auschwitz the day before, but he took us out and showed us where the 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 ghetto was, uh, where the last part of the wall still existed, and and where we went to the uh, synagogue and things like that. But then we went, which was really amazing to me. We went out to the concentration camp, which is now just a park, pretty much, where the Schindler the Schindler Jews had been incarcerated. And then we went to the Schindler enamelware factory, and I had read that if you bribe the guards, they'll let you in. And so I actually was able to do that, and so we were able to tour the factory. And then as we were leaving, the guards said, well, wait a minute, and he took us upstairs in the administration building of the factory and let us go into Schindler's private apartment for a few minutes. And it was really a, a transfiguring experience, for lack of a better word. And was this um, after you'd seen the movie Schindler's List? Oh, or, yeah, this, yeah was, but... this was, yeah, several years afterwards. So it was really amazing. That... Uh... Of course, we shot video uh, in Auschwitz and in Birkenau, and it's kind of a misconception that we all have about Auschwitz. You know, Auschwitz was an old camp that was actually a military camp used by the Polish, and Birkenau is actually the building where most of the horror took place. Right. Uh, I mean, it was manufactured for one purpose, and it was a large area, I mean, uh, probably a square mile or two square miles in uh, overall, and it was uh, it was built for one purpose and one purpose only, and that was a pretty frightening experience for me. And Auschwitz is really sanitized, I think. You know, it's it's full of museums from individual countries and everything, but if you really want to get that sense of of the foreboding and, and, and of the, the death that happened, you need to go to Birkenau. And the scope. The yeah. Scope is, the scope is what really, uh, I guess, that transformed me. That was an experience for me just to see what uh, lengths they had gone to to of course you know the Germans you know they they want to be perfectious in everything they do unfortunately they were perfecting something that uh, was abhorrible and my understanding is that about 90 percent of Birkenau is gone so it was at one time like 10 times bigger than it is now that's amazing well, let's go ahead and move into your uh, next selection which okay. is this is melodies from Bukovina and the the group is called Harmonia and the album is the music of Eastern Europe and Bukovina is an area between the Ukraine and Romania that's it's ethnically mixed between Ukrainians and Romanians, and they have a really particularly rich uh, musical tradition there. Let's go ahead and move right to it. <laughs> Thank you. 
одно, хлопці, веселіше. Hometown Abingdon Radio Station. This is Jim Barker, and you're listening to the Eclectic Hour. Today's guest is Lorraine Abraham. I'd like to say that we also broadcast at WEHC Radio 90.7 on your FM dial, and we also broadcast on WABN 1230 AM on your AM radio dial. We also stream on www dot wabn1230.com and www.ehcwire.com. Occasionally we have shows that broadcast on Comcast Channel 2, WEHC-TV. Normally we have broadcasts from the college at 7 p.m. on Wednesdays and Thursdays. Lorraine, I got all that in. I'm surprised. That's, that's the hardest thing for me to do is to remember to, uh, to get all these plugs in. But uh, when we have wonderful guests like you, sometimes you forget to uh, do the little small things. So um, thanks for giving me a moment to be able to do that. We're going to go ahead and move into another one of the hats that you wear, and that is a a web designer. And you had said earlier that you just completed designing on the web with uh, Lee Coburn at uh, for Ohio State University. Is that correct? That's right, for the Medieval Slavic Library at Ohio State. I had done it uh, originally. That was the first website I ever did. And that was way back in early 1997, and then redesigned it again in about 2001, I think. And it really desperately needed a redesign. And so at this point in time, web design is beyond me uh, to a great extent. If you get something that's simple, I can do it. But with all of the cascading style sheets and all the, the fancy ways to do things now that 
that we have, and as much as websites can do so much more than they used to, it was really beyond me to do something cutting edge. So we contracted with um, Coburn Creative and worked with them, and it was really a great experience to work with Lee. It was a good experience for him, too, because this was a very different website than anything they had ever worked on. Well, I'm sure he was up for the challenge. You know, we've had Lee on the radio show also, and he's a very talented young guy. Uh, I have a, a lot of respect for him and what he does and a number of different things. Uh, and I'm glad to hear that you two uh, work together on a project. Yeah, it was great. We've really had a fun time with it, too. And, you know, it's funny because a web project like this, you can't just go out and find graphics for it because medieval Slavic stuff just doesn't have a lot of graphics. So you have to do everything from scratch. And that made it a particular challenge, but particularly interesting, too. Now, have you designed any other webs, um, say the uh, the Emory Henry website? Were you involved in that at all? No, not a bit, actually. <laughs> <laughs> the um, now 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 we worked with um, Lee Lee Coburn on the little bit of the website that is specific to the library because the library webpage is very dynamic. We have all of those electronic databases and everything that we need to constantly update. URLs, et cetera. We have trial databases and stuff. And so that really is kind of separate from the main Emory and Henry webpage because it has to be constantly updated and revised. So we have our own little chunk of it. And Lee did a wonderful job on helping us get that off the ground about, I guess, about a year and a half ago. Well, let's move into another uh, cut. We've we've probably been a little negligent here on playing music. Let's go ahead and, and try to uh, fit another cut in. And this next piece is... It's the Hutzel Fantasies. And this is, again, off of the Music of Eastern Europe album. Uh, the artist is Harmonia. And uh, this is a suite based on the folk melodies of the Hutsuli, who are the mountain people of the Ukraine, in, in the western Ukraine. Well, here's to the Hutsuli.
You're listening to WEHC Radio. This is Jim Barker. Today's guest is Lorraine Abraham, and we're listening to Slavic music. And this last particular cut was? The Hutzel Fantasy. The Hutzel Fantasy. Yeah, music was very, very nice. And uh, you want to go ahead and move to, uh, not the next cut, but to cut seven in the future. Is that correct? Right. Okay. So, so we'll have that for the next cut. Let's go ahead and talk a little bit about um, teaching. Uh, I have a note here that you're, uh, you've taught history. Have you taught history here on campus? Yes, I taught Central European history, and I guest lecture regularly once a year for Fred Kellogg in religion, and religion 311 usually. Oh, uh, that would probably be right up your alley, talking yeah. about... Uh, that's probably very interesting. You know, next time you do that, let me know. I wouldn't mind coming in and sitting in on that if, okay. if, uh, if Fred would allow me. I, well, we seem to be pretty good friends, so I don't think, I think he would he mind. Now, it's not, it's not what you'd expect, though, because actually that's an area that's a little different than what we've been talking about. Uh-huh. Uh, when I teach that class, it's about early Christian monasticism in the Egyptian desert in anywhere from the 1st through the 5th century. Oh, I would be very much interested in that. So yeah, It's about the let, founding of monasticism in general. Well, let, the next time you do that, let me know. I'd okay. appreciate it. Any other classes that you're teaching on campus, Lorraine? Not currently, no. I have taught, strangely enough, I've taught computer science at other institutions, and um, that was very interesting. I enjoy that, too. Well, you wear many hats. You're the woman that wears many hats, and uh, I didn't realize all these things about you, but it must be fascinating just to uh, just to be you. I know that you're probably stressed out over a lot of this, but at the same time, it must be fascinating for you to be able to... Uh, kind of move from one area into another and I guess that helps you relieve boredom to a certain degree. Yeah, it does. It keeps you busy. It's there's it I like the variety and I'm a pretty good multitasker, I guess, because it seems to it seems to do well. But a lot of people ask me about why, you know, how do you go from medieval Slavic manuscripts and things like that and not only Slavic because I also do western medieval history. Uh and how do you how do you reconcile that with your IT side? And the answer to that is that it's all technology, if you think about it in, a, in an abstract sense, because these people, these monks in the ninth century that were doing all this paleography and, and creating all these manuscripts were actually the Xerox machines of the Middle Ages. And so if you look at it as information transfer mm-hmm. and cultural transfer, mm-hmm. it really fits together nicely. It's exactly the same, just, mm-hmm. in, just in a different way, isn't it? Exactly. I do, I do actually have a job talk that goes about 30 minutes. It's a lecture that takes it from 10,000 B.C. up to today in terms of information technology uh, landmarks. Well, you're you're current with the 10,000 BC since that's kind of a very popular movie going on these days. It doesn't look quite like that though. <laughs> <laughs> and it's uh, it's interesting mm. because they they're also running a show on the History Channel about 10,000 BC. So you're getting all this information for some reason that seems to be a very popular time for us. Yeah, and it's so it's it funny. Go back in our history to 10 to 10,000 BC. Yeah, when you start looking at cuneiform and all the different kinds of alphabets that were starting to fo- be formed in Egypt and Mesopotamia. Pretty interesting, but I don't think there was any dinosaurs around then. I won't go there. <laughs> Let's go ahead and go to this next cut, and the next cut would be... Okay, this is a change of direction. This is uh, this is jazz, and it's uh, from Roberto Pereira. It's called My Paraguayan Song, and Roberto Pereira is a Paraguayan jazz harpist, and I just really like his music. I have all his CDs. Well, let's listen to this CD. 
listening to WEHC Radio. This is Jim Barker. Tonight's guest is Lorraine Abraham. We're just listening to uh, My Far Song by Roberto Pereira off the Erotica album. That was very nice music. I kind of like the uh, the way that they blend in some upbeat tempos with uh, the more mellow tempos, and uh, it's very unique. I, I enjoy that. Thanks for the copy that you gave me, by the way. You're welcome. Let's talk a little bit about IT, because you're also the head of the IT department here, along with the other things that you're doing. Um, how has this changed us, this having uh, the technology that we have today? Wow, that's a big question. Uh, here at Emory & Henry, when I first came eight years ago, we had, uh, at, I would say that technology was certainly here, but it was not as ubiquitous as it is now, uh, we have it everywhere now. And, and we've gone from being uh, having it as a, as a help to being really dependent on it, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> it's it, 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 absolutely every function that we have at the, at the college now seems to be technology-based. It seems like uh, we, we have all of our systems are integrated and online and uh, everything we have the wireless all over the campus and then let's let's talk about that for a minute because we are uh we're on the verge of going totally wireless and uh, is that something that uh, you came up with and decided to to implement actually that was the president's idea and uh you know we had looked at wireless several years ago when we first got the title three grant and it was at that time was just so unbelievably expensive that it wasn't really in the cards it would have taken the entire grant to do it and uh it has come down in price and it's gotten a lot more uh, possible to do it in a, in a reasonable way and it's also a lot better than it was even six or seven years ago so uh, it's now gotten to the point where we can have it everywhere and we are the first campus in Virginia to do that. Well that's a wonderful accomplishment uh, for us and the other thing I guess the other question I would have for you is I imagine that that help desk number is probably the most used number on campus. It's it keeps pretty busy, and the number is nine four four six eight eight one. In case you need it, and that that's a great service. And I'm I'm sure that with all the uh, the new hookups and information that we have, that that's probably you've seen a growth in that department probably as much as anything else. We've yeah, that's and it's difficult to support everything sometimes that we've got so many different initiatives going and uh the Title Three grant, which brought one point eight million dollars into the campus, which we're in our fourth of five years has done tremendous things for bringing LCD projectors and all kinds of other technology into the classroom situation. So we're really proud of our technology here and it's come a long way. Well, Lorraine, this is probably going to be the end for us. Uh, I want to appreciate you uh, coming in and uh, being with us this evening. Great selections of music. You're such a wonderful person with uh, vast experiences. I've known you for quite a while, and I didn't realize all these wonderful things about you. It's great that you can come in and share this information with our listening audience. I'm sure they're going to be uh, have a whole new opinion about us and what we're doing here when they, when they hear these interviews with people that as interesting as you are. Well, thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity to come in and share it. This is Jim Barker, and you're listening to the Eclectic Hour. We're about ready to sign off. I want to wish everyone uh, a great week, smooth sailing this week. Uh, we're signing off from WEHC Radio, 90.7 FM. 
and also from WABN Radio, 12.30 a.m. out of Abington. This will be our final cut, Lorraine, and which, uh, which cut are we listening to here? This is another Roberto Pereira cut off of the uh, Erotica album, and it is called R.C.'s Theme Song. Here we go, R.C. Mm-hmm. 